It sounds like booze. <laughs> Welcome to the Flake Lab. I am Gary. You are Henrik. Not you, the listener, but uh, my co-host. He will chime in shortly. This is the kind of film podcast where we go through international cinema bi-weekly and a couple of other things on the side. For example, today, Under the Volcano from 1984. We're from Finland. We studied media. Any housekeeping or let's just get to it. Well, seeing how I'm absolutely smitten to be here once again, why not just, no? Jump right into it. I'm feeling fresh like a springboard for the for t- t- today's episode. And to keep in with the gimmicks that we originally started, and to be absolutely in no way disgustingly distasteful and disgraceful here, I'm also paying a hell of a lot of booze. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to it's going to it's going to keep in with the themes. Of today's really? movie, which deals with alcoholism. I thought about having this for myself, but I thought that Henrik is not gonna do this anymore. But just for you, man, I, I know how how you like to collect like like sound effects and build your own audio library. So here, here's my here's my little gift for you, like homemade sound effect. You can you can try to guess what this noise is. <laughs> It sounds like booze. <laughs> oh, what kind of booze are we talking about? It, it, it's my favorite kind. It's all the booze. Two types of whiskey. I have, I have Bailey's. I have one red wine. Like typically, I also have a have a beer here with me. But you know that that the beer is is just for there. You know, to to clean up my palate. Darn, I, I don't have any to share. I have just water here and, <laughs> and coffee and. If you can spare 30 minutes, I can go, of course, get a hell of a lot of... <laughs> well, well, wh- why not? <laughs> why not? Go ahead, man. What? Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. I can, I can, I can start to open up my, my, my collection here. I can get into the film critic mode here. <laughs> so that at the, at the end, of, end of the episode, everything will be très chic, as they, as they say in French, and with a pronunciation that will absolutely in no way did just completely butchered the French language, but I'm a film critic and using French language on occasion, like one word in one hour, it borrows me some image of credibility, which is the only currency I have. Oh, up to you, <laughs> if you want to keep waiting. Yeah, 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 I'm completely fine. So I made a fuck up, sailor. Okay. <laughs> Two hours later. Yes. So, I got some uh, Tandwai Ice Alcomix Blue Fresh and Alcomix Original. I'm all set. Sounds sounds absolutely splendid. Absolutely <laughs> splendid. And in no way, in no way, like, like, in no way wrong. Once again, seeing how today's film's theme, major theme is, is alcoholism. Welcome to the Flick Lab. I'm drunk, you're drunk. Welcome to the Flick Lab. In a moment. We're both drunk. We'll be absolutely slashed. 
by 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 the end of today's episode. But it's okay, it's okay, it's just part of the oeuvre. And to people who who say that we shouldn't use French language words, you know, that's a that's an opinion and take for one of the people who don't have the the constitution to say that the French New Wave was, was a cinematic failure and a mistake and should never have happened. Well, speaking of French language and several languages, <laughs> speaking of that, whoa, 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 I happened to read the book. How was your reading, Henrik? Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't even manage to open the book. Uh, I'm thinking this is going to be a, the film versus the book episode, in fact, at least on my part, because we can talk quite plentifully about the book. I have some thoughts. Okay, well that's uh, that's good. I'm all, all for it. I'm completely supportive of this exercise. Seeing how perhaps through the, through the book we can actually get something to talk about. Yeah. So uh, it's about 450 pages. <laughs> Quite snappy read. <laughs> actually, the first thought that comes to mind when you're 50 pages into this book is like, dear author, what the fuck are you talking about? First, who is talking? What is he talking about? Where and why? Oh, so many questions. I, I I was absolutely certain that the first thing that comes to your mind when you start to read the book is, Sir, please pass me the drink. Pretty much. And that's how the sentences are structured here. Very drunkardly. It's written as if by a drunkard, really. There's plenty of sentences that make no goddamn sense. It's the... Well, not... Not so much as if, as as by, because even, even though I didn't read it, I did do some background checks on, on the book, which shamefully, I must admit, I hadn't really heard about same way as I didn't, uh, hadn't heard about Lowry as as a writer, even though, you know, the, the author and the book in question, Under the Volcano, are considered some of the... the you know, best, most noteworthy classics of the English elite. But yeah, <clears throat> was not familiar with neither one of them at all. But upon, you know, looking into the things, the truth is, you know, the author, uh, Malcolm Lowry, was a real-life bender drunk. He was, he was drunk more days than he was sober of, of his life. So when, mm. when it comes to to under the volcano which is like his his second of the only two books that he ever ever wrote he did write some some poems and and stuff like that uh, even after under the volcano but when it comes to novels it's just ultramarine his first one and then under the volcano and those apparently if if i understood this correctly were written in this kind of a short, so sober periods in his life. Wow, that's hard to imagine reading the book because it's some of the most, I, I will try to be as objective as, uh, I, I will try to be fair, but it's the most unreadable, some of the most unreadable gibberish I've read in a while. Okay, it's like a big, <laughs> it, it's like a big stream of consciousness gibberish hitting your brain. With 400 yeah, miles but, per but, hour. But, but in Kari's defense here, if I remember correctly, you're not a big fan of, of reading fiction. Like you more <laughs> like like factual books. Like. 
that is you know, absolutely true. Like ninety-five percent yeah. of what I read, admittedly, is is nonfiction. But I'm, yeah, I'm, so it I'm, might might also not just be like you know you you're not getting it, or well, you're just being bad writer, and you're just being like less experienced reader when it comes to like you know touching upon fiction, especially if the fiction takes like more more flowery that's presentation. The- that's that's fair, but I will just say that for the common folks out, out there, for most English majors even, this might be something that is choking them up, because the, the author, he uses so many big words throughout, but somehow, then the text improves in, let's say, the last three chapters in the sense that he suddenly just drops all the big words, and it becomes quite readable, actually. Perhaps the author himself got tired of checking the dictionary himself all the time and wondering which fancy words he should be inserting next. Because that's how I felt about it. Could be. Could be and could be also a universal problem. Because I also heard that when Lowry was searching for publisher for Under the Volcano, the one pub... First of all, he was... was, Apparently he was rejected at first, but, and then managed to, to land a publisher for himself, and the publisher also felt like that, you know, a, a considerable number of, of changes should be made to the novel before before publishing it. Yeah. And I, I've heard that Lowry, like in, in response, Lowry wrote to his publisher like something like, 26 or 34 or something like like this this huge letter like like uh, over 10 pages long letter uh, but perhaps I, I don't remember how many pages it was exactly like I said you know, could could be uh, 26 uh, 34 wh- whatever but anyways this this gigantic amount of paper which was just him going po- point by point his his publisher's ideas and opinions and contradicting them and laying his defense why the text should not be changed in any way before publishing and apparently his his publisher like gave up here and just you know was was like okay Lowry like like I've read your letter and we want touch a thing in in your book and we will just publish it as it is yeah and I can perfectly see why not only that there are a lot of sophisticated vocabulary in there, and certainly I can tell that the man himself professed a incredible command of the English language. This reads like a book that is really kind of one-take-ish, in a way that there is the stream of consciousness aspect to it. You could even question if this is uh, like one of the pillars or the biggies of the English literature, or is it uh, one of the big numbers in Spanish literature? There's there's so much Spanish here, and foreign languages in general, especially Spanish, that you'd, you'd better be prepared to take a Duolingo course before you even consider reading this book. Well, lucky for me, I know some, I lived in Spain, but it comes off as a, as a kind of a show-off. I get it, I get it. Well, you're in Mexico, and you are trying to convey this very authentic feeling like you would be there. And, uh, it's very fucking hard to read this book. There's like literally like half the page might be just 
some Spanish that the character saw somewhere in the in the marketplace or in a square. So that's kind of the one of the problems of the book. But if you kind of sideline that for a second, the content itself, as I said, it's kind of stream of consciousness. Okay, what do I mean about that? It's meandering conversations in bars that seem to lead absolutely nowhere, as if the character would be actually drunk as he is. I know that there's a lot of references to the other material in the book, the book referencing other books and works of art, yada, yada, yada. So there's a lot of things that I'm missing. But as far as I know, most of them are more like just references and nothing really else to it. It's it's there. The book is referencing some other book and being like, like, hey, 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 look at this. I have this reference in my book. I could be wrong about that. Then there's a lot of boring for me, anyways, extremely boring background stories for some of the characters, like Hugh, how he was doing during the war, and uh, it just goes on and on and on about it. And it suddenly, just in the next chapter, it just might change the focus who of who's talking, whose perspective we're talking from. And it's extremely confusing to follow what is going on at times, especially with these kind of flashback moments where we go into some sidetrack stories and you you lose track easily of what is going on 50 pages in and you've probably lost the concentration and interest but i finished the whole goddamn beast so i can just say that i i've done it and i can talk about it (laughs) yeah i think you just really quickly stop caring about the characters especially the main character i read this book just in case it would be a better experience than the movie experience that I had, like, let's say, 18 years ago when I watched the movie for the first time. And I thought that perhaps I was too young to appreciate the movie, let alone the book. So I read now the book and I rewatched the movie now. I can positively now say that the movie is still... Well, I, I will leave it for later. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the reason why we have Under the Volcano here, Henrik, tell us why it's here. I actually don't have the faintest idea why we are doing this. I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm quite interested in, in hearing why are we covering this. This is a film that, that you have, like, once again, to, to harken back to our behind the scenes discussions, Under the Volcano is a movie that, that you have brought up for X number of times now when we have been thinking about what film we should cover next and usually <laughs> I've been pushing against this my against it my reasoning has been that since we are now dealing with a new format where we usually tackle more than one movie and, and the previous format for the podcast was that we just talk about one movie in depth and now, now we have kind of advanced from it and I've been avoiding Under the Volcano because I kind of like to stay as firmly as possible in the new format of, of more than one movies per episode to discuss about. And I never actually figure out like what should be the companion movie for Volcano. That's the thing. And now just like, okay, I finally gave, gave in and now we are doing Under the Volcano. That's the thing, we tried to make this the drunkard movies, the episode, 
Well, we just went through some of the like the descriptions of the movies, and it just didn't quite feel correct, didn't feel right. And uh, yeah, then I was like, okay, like fuck, you can't fit anything in with the under the volcano. Let's just do under the volcano. But my one of my excuses for tonight, why we are where we watched this, is because I have read the book, so I can say that actually it's kind of like two projects that we're talking about today. Yeah, I'm not really a fiction guy that much, but um, but the reason why we're watching this tonight is because I watched this for the first time 18 years ago, as I said, and I uh, at the time I felt that it's the worst movie probably that I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then you started to to make make a film podcast and after x number of years in in the lab you are kind of like oh it couldn't be that bad precisely i thought that <laughs> yeah. maybe i've been a little bit too rough towards this movie yeah yeah like I, i've seen hellraiser 7 so <laughs> it, it couldn't be that bad <laughs> yeah i was about 17 years old when i watched it and terribly unsophisticated little kid who didn't know anything and at this point I know a few things more and I just thought that maybe it's not that bad maybe I should take a more mature look at this film and and the book to see if anything has changed maybe maybe I should revisit the movie as an unsophisticated adult <laughs> <laughs> I mean first fair that the book is only like number 11 in, in the modern library 100 best novels list. I know. When on, so it's, it's on, some, some type of a literary classic. Yeah. So it's trash. As as conclu- as, as Kari's conclusion, one of the, like, like to, no, number 11 in, in 100 <laughs> best no, no, novels. Trash. <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, can, I can say that there's kind of split opinions online regarding regarding the book and the film there is so I'm... and what i looked into into the split opinions i i saw the the main divide i saw with it was like what is your preferred time period of literature do you like the more the the, the romantic era which has more stuff happening or do you like the modernist the the English modernist era of, of literature, which would be like James Joyce, Lowry, Graham Greene, or, or, or these others, which have more like this this really stuck into the perspective of of one character and not so much actually happening mm. story and plot wise in the book. And like I I got the vibe that this is like the the main divider between the opinions when it comes to to Under the Volcano as a book. Yeah, and no, I perfectly understand. I understand what it wants to do, more or less. It's a certain kind of storytelling, perhaps it's re- really not my cup of tea. Or it doesn't feel so wholesome or such of a cohesive project where you have the 70% of the book being, as I, as I described, very heavily relying on advanced vocabulary and meandering quality. But then in the last 30%, it actually becomes a more traditional, say, novel with a regular story structure. And and the film very much follows the book. Of course, less scenes and less bars and what have you. Very much follows the the book 
Okay, it can be a good or a bad thing, depending on your on your opinion opinions of of about the film. Anyway, uh, how, how do you feel about the the, the main character, this uh, drunkard Furman, who is an ex consulate who has left the consulate and now is just stuck in Mexico? At least in the book, it's mentioned that he should be packing his stuff and start to leave Mexico. But he has no such intentions. I felt that Fermin was a really believable and realistic portrayal of an of an alcoholic. Yeah, I think uh, the performance was, though it was really you know, over the topish, but for a good reason. I think, yeah, it well reflects the the life or the behavior of a drunkard. Yeah, it was. Just what you would really expect. All all the praise that has been given to Albert Finney, I perfectly see where it's coming from. Yeah. He is very suitable for this role. It's absolutely suitable for for the role. Like like Albert, Albert Finney, like absolutely like just like everybody will point you out if you read into the reviews of of Under the Volcano, the movie. Albert Finney's performance is really astonishing. It's an absolute powerhouse performance the caveat that exists here and like like the the one topic or, or, or the one thing that i'm kind of trying to tiptoe around here is the fact that if you also read into the reviews albert finney's performance is kind of the thing that everybody mentions and when i say it's the thing that everybody mentions i mean it's the only thing that everybody mentions. Mm-hmm. The reviews more or less are just like Albert Finney is great. And that's it. Albert Finney For is the most great. Part. Albert Finney is great, but what maybe was the biggest problem throughout the book, throughout the film, is do we care about Albert Finney's character? Do we care about Furman and his fate? And that he's drunk, and that he should get better. Yeah, that's the that's the main sticking point. Like, like that's that that's the biggest question. If you wanna talk about under the volcano, I can't vouch for the book, but at least for the film, most definitely, that's the question. That's the deal breaker. That's where where the, where this all will come down to. Like, do you give a shit? About Albert, Fe- uh, about George Fermin as a character. Yeah, is it the fact that we don't get any primer on the character before he became into this condition, or is it just that once somebody becomes this way, we just lose interest in the character in a sense? And maybe that's an interesting philosophical question. Then is that fair? Is are we mistreating? him should we feel more empathy how to get there well there's a lot of good questions and you know do me a favor man just write those questions up okay right now so that we actually remember to get back into the into these questions because i would say those are the the main talking points when it comes to when it comes to at least for the, the 1984 film once again, can't can't say anything for for the book, but for the movie, those are the questions where everything will boil boil down to. 
the, the, and the biggest talking points, perhaps for today's episode. And I'm gonna come out like out of the bushwork. Like you may have noticed that I, I have been a bit hesitant to say exactly how I feel about the movie mm-hmm. up until this point. I've been kind of saving it. Like I, I, I was thinking that I, I just kind of, kind of open up my thoughts little by little as as today's episode goes on until we reach like the the, the final questions where I gi- give the answer up straight. It's so hard. But fuck that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fuck, fuck it, fuck it. Mm. Like, I'm, I'm gonna honestly come out of and just lay it out. I didn't fucking like the movie. There. <laughs> I, I, I didn't like this. I, Thank you for joining us. And, yeah, leave your hate, hate mail in, in our social media. Uh, and to me, you, you asked, like, is the fact that we don't know about Albert Finney's past... Or his character's past that we don't know about who George Fermin, uh, Jeffrey Fermin was before the story proper starts. If that's the problem, and to me personally, that's precisely the problem. That's absolutely the problem. Like I'm, the thing thing that if you haven't seen Under the Volcano, if you haven't read the book, the thing you have to know about the movie is that it's a it's a character study. It's it's one hundred percent character study. Yeah, film directors they love to do character studies because they give the directors a possibility to to do these these like big emotion things, which are something that the the Oscar Academy really likes to to give prizes and and stuff that usually like film critics like you and me like really like to we, we want to give praises to character studies because we usually take the side that we get to see some type of a raw, raw deep real emotions when the camera and the story never leaves the character and it's just 100% focused on the character mm. and actors like 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 Albert Finney they absolutely love to do character study movies because it gives them the chance like Finney here who absolutely seizes the opportunity to play big and play loud and have all these harsh emotions on the screen and portray it all, like bleed their hearts out on the screen. And that's, once again, that's something that, you know, critics like you and me, we are like, we are supposed to love and cheer and champion those moments. Uh, same way as, you know, the, once again, the Oscars mm. are, are supposed to give awards whenever an actor does this. So, of course, this is like, if, if, you, if you have like a divide, if, if you would think that there's a divide, there's an industry on side A, which would consist like the producers, actors, script writers, directors, also cre- us the critics we would be in the industry and then there would be the side b which would be the audiences there's like a uh, oftentimes there's a gap where the industry loves character pieces and then you have to ask like is there something for the audiences yeah and Mm. the thing with character pieces however unfortunately is the fact that usually jack shit happens in them like you're supposed to follow the character. Like that—that's the whole point of a character study. You're supposed to stick with the character. It's—it's it's not plot movie. It's not an action movie. It's not a suspense movie. It's a character study. 
So basically everything plot related can be thrown under the bus in perf- in in you know in keeping or in in uplifting the character side of the thing and that's absolutely fine that's absolutely fine I love some character studies I'm this is not like me ranting that character study, uh, studies are like the plight of of Hollywood filmmaking not at all but you are kind of a riding this rickety bike here like where if you can't exactly like if, if the character does not bite if you don't kind of feel the character in the character study movie but then you have nothing else to go for or and go with and to me that's where the main problem with with Jeffrey Fermin boils down to and i would say like you suggested that the biggest problem for me is that we never at least in the movie i was hoping that this is different for the po- for, uh, in, in the book no. where i heard rumors that that you get more of the backstory but at least in the movie you actually don't get any backstory for fermin you get some backstory in the book but you yeah i think the same problem you you, you just get more or less drunken descriptions of of his past and there's not so much of it and even then i didn't find that it was steering me into any direction regarding my feelings towards his character well that's a that's a like a huge disappointment because i i honest to god i don't i'm not aiming to be in the studio today tonight just going on how uh, <laughs> the classic is shit Mm-hmm. And once again, to to piece on everybody's serial here, I, I was really hoping that the book, then on the other hand, would be like, w- would have this 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 lavish, big Jeffrey Fermin before the story proper starts angle and thing with it, so well, that you know you you would get all all the backstory and all the or the character basically in the book because you don't really get it in the film itself well, kind of, and that is the biggest problem like I kind of said the book is pretty hard to follow at points but from my experience it gives even more focus on Hugh's character and his history during the second world war and how oh, he for then fuck's sake yeah, yeah, it's 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 really w- bizarre, and how he came back and his reasons and, uh, but, but quotes like this, quote, but you are the man to weaken and have a drink at his critical hour, Jeffrey Fermin, you are not you will fight it, have already fought down this temptation, have you not you have not, then I must remind you, you did you not last night refuse drink after drink, and finally after a nice little sleep, even sober up altogether, you didn't you, did you, didn't you, did we know afterwards you did you were only drinking enough to correct your tremor, a masterly self-control she does not and cannot appreciate, end quote. That's the kind of shit I need to be reading. Drunken rambling. Well, well, you know, in kudos to the book, that's really believable. Uh, drunken rambling. <laughs> and and you know, I'm. It's 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 nice if if Hugh Fermin gets like like more backstory and and you know character in the in the book because oh boy, does does he not get almost nothing in 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 the movie? 
but I was I was honest to you, I was I was really championing in, in my heart that in the book Geoffrey Furman would get good and proper backstory. Because the lack of backstory, like I said, it's the nail in the coffin when it comes to the movie. Yeah, it it does more or less the same thing as the movie. He's rambling, walking around the town and giving everything that he can while he's doing that. And uh, kind of everything that is around him is something that he is himself describing. There's some allusions to Hughes and uh, Yvonne's possible relationship in the past. I guess it's pretty clear that that there's something going on between the two in the movie as well, but maybe less directly. Yeah, well, but, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah, but when you're taking into account all the things that you have to endure when you're in such a condition, when you're when you're a drunkard and uh, under the influence, you have the the shame. You have thoughts of self-loathing and people are helping you and you cannot do anything. You are losing bits of your dignity. You are at the same time perhaps enjoying your current state while the others are not so much in enjoying that state. There's a lot of those different thoughts and then you might be breaking into a smile when you're drunk and the others are not responding to that when they see your state. A lot going on in the film, in a in a way, but then why are we not, as an audience, engage? Why don't we care? Yeah, that is the question. Yeah, and to start to tackle that one, I'm almost already like this is the reason why why I asked that you to write your questions down because I'm already starting to forget them. But if I remember correctly, you had a philosophical question. More like, or less like, like uh, why, don't, why don't we care too much for a person who is drunk? And how, how do we get to that conditioning? Should we get there? How, how to get there? Yeah, you, you had some type of a moralistic question for, for the audiences. Like, is it fair that we criticize the movie for not getting into the, the drunker character or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, this, just... this is exactly <laughs> exactly the, the reason why these questions are tricky. Yeah, as far as I recall, I was just saying, why do we fail to make the connection to the drunkard? Yeah, that most definitely was a question. And to start to check out that one, uh, to me, the problem comes in basically the approach that the film has like, like the main sticking point like i already said is that is the character study angle that the movie has and once again i have to stress this out i'm not against character studies but like i said the problem with character studies is that usually in character studies you don't get that much plot material so everything comes down into you basically getting inside the character and you started to care about the character and in Under the Volcano, when it comes to George Fermin, this is very much a downward spiral story. It's basically uh, George Fermin as a character. He's someone who has been an alcoholic for years before the movie's, movie proper starts. And, and he has reached the point of alcoholism where he no longer is drinking because he likes it. He is no longer drinking in, in order to get drunk 
he is merely merely drinking because he can't function like his body can't function without alcohol. He's he's that far in. This is very much like close to his deathbed alcoholic that we are, we are dealing he, with here. Like his system is physically in danger of shutting down without the booze. And this is something that, well, Fermin himself states this out, and we get to see this in, in the movie through the shakes that he has, and, and the pains that he obviously has when he does not have enough alcohol in his system. But the thing is that in the movie at least, when the story to- starts, that's all that Jeffrey Fermin is. He's, he's nothing else. That that's like that that that's the whole thing. He he doesn't do anything anymore because he's past the point where he can change. He can't kick kick the habit, and that's that's understandable. Like alcoholism is an addiction, and like with all addictions, you never actually get rid of them. You just at the best case scenario, you learn the tools and the methods to kind of stop using and abusing the addiction you have and then you also learn how to combat your addiction so that you cease to do whatever it was that you were doing before if it's if it's drinking or if it's drugs or if it's smoking mm. you kind of learn this this the tools to force yourself not to do that thing anymore but you never actually get cured out of addiction that's impossibility you never truly it it's always there it's always in in the back of your head and that's why quitting an addiction is so incredibly difficult and every addict who somehow manages to find his way out of the addiction is is no less than a than a hero simply by 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 virtue of being able to to make that feat but but with with Fermin here being at that point, it's also, it it means that Fermin can't can't stop, and since he can't stop, there really is no other direction for him than you know downwards. And since this is a character study, it means that there really is no not that many plot points that Fermin could get tangled into. So it basically the whole point comes into watching a one man. Just succumbing into alcoholism. This is an extremely nihilistic story. You just watch this one man slowly drinking himself to death. And that... Like, if you ever met an alcoholic, ever spent a time with a drunken person while you have been sober, you kind of know that they ain't the most interesting people. People generally are not interesting when they are drunk. And Jeffrey Fermin... He cannot be anything else except drunk. And I guess that's the disconnect. That, that's the disconnect. That's And with that disconnect, then comes the question, how do you get the peop- somebody to care about? Like, how do you get the audiences to care about a character that is not interesting? And in that question, the answer, in my opinion, would have been the goddamn backstory. Like seeing how and why Albert, uh, Jeffrey Fermin. Yeah. God damn, I constantly keep saying Albert, even though it's Jeffrey. 
But Jeff, why Jeffrey Fermin is in the state that he is in? Like you, you realize you you get. It's obvious in the film that that there is an inner pain in Fermin, and there are some demons behind him that that compel him to drink, and that that are cause cause for his addiction. Because nobody just chooses to be an addict. Not nobody is like well, it's it's Sunday and I have. Like nothing better to do. I I guess I just become an addict. There's always some type of an inner, deeper, more emotional pain in you, and then you find some substance that you start first using to to combat that pain, to bury it down. And as as you keep on doing this, it it turns slowly into an addiction. Once again, there's a reasons why addictions and addicts are so so heartbreaking and why it's so hard to combat an addiction but with in in this type of a, like in fictional context which under the volcano in the end is it it also kind of like in real life you can you can you can work with an addict you can work with drunken people they are not interesting when they are drunk but you can just work with them but What we are dealing with, what we are talking about here, is a book and a film, a two-hour movie. So you have the right to actually demand something from the piece of art, from from the film itself, some type of a connection, some type, of, something to connect with. And you can't connect with Fermin at this point. So the main question would be, you know, to to have the the like like the character arc of Fermin. Yeah. Somehow, through some way, explain what is the deeper emotional pain that compels him to drink, and how the drinking started, and how did it actually escalate into the point that it is when when the film starts. Well, But since there's no backstory, you are robbed from that. Well, we get a little bit more backstory actually in the book, in the sense that we we get to understand why he's not so eager to quit drinking it's because his alcoholism is now so advanced that as also described partly in the film he does get the shakes and when he starts drinking he gets rid of the shakes his al- alcoholism is so advanced that he he can't just simply stop it straight to the wall he he needs to he would need to get on some program or get to be actually having some kind of a constructive program to get off his alcoholism and just blankly just quitting it it would absolutely kill him the book also explains why he's not wearing socks i think we didn't get to the actual explanation in the in the movie but yeah no we don't yeah it's a fact that he can't even wear them because his um alcoholic neuropathy has developed so far that it's very uncomfortable or actually impossible yeah but uh, uh yeah i guess the subject was very personal f- for for the author i'm certain that this subject matter this movie film will uh affect people more deeply based on their personal experiences and perhaps because uh, i don't know they are more sheltered uh, I, I I read some comments online that saying that people were like, oh, oh my god, this was so heartbreaking and such of a dark story, and I, I didn't get that feeling. 
I would say that the reason why you don't get get it is is precisely because of the backstory. Because you don't know what is the demon behind Vermin. But apparently some people do have the experience that it was pretty hor- horrific experience for them. It can be also like different life experiences. Mm. Well, I have myself... That may fuel into... Yeah, myself I have had my fair share of uh, drunkards pretty close in my life. And uh, could it even be that, that I just don't care? I've, I've seen these people, they don't usually change their ways. It's just the same and definitely not interesting people to talk to. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not demanding that that Furbin should have changed his ways in in course of the story. I'm I'm fine with the story ending like it is. I'm I'm even relatively fine with the story being like it is. My my main problem is that there is no more like like pre-alcoholic Furbin presented to us. None at all. And I, I like, like you ask if, if it's the fact that you, you've seen alcoholic people, alcoholics in your, in your life, because of that you are like somehow lost your interest, some type of human connection to, to alcoholics. I wouldn't say it's that, that would, I, like, I wouldn't say that that would be the case. Like to reiterate my pre- question from previous, if you experienced those people when they were drunk, if you tried to have a talk with them when they were drunk, were they interesting in that moment? No. Yeah, precisely. Because drunk people are not interesting. They, like, like these people that you have met, their stories may be heartbreaking, they, their current situation might be heartbreaking. They may be really interesting, really nice, really cool people, but that's outside of the moment when they are, you know, drunk. That's with you having some type of a understanding of what they are when they are not drunk, or what they have been before, you know, they got drunk, what they have been before they became alcoholics. And with that added knowledge... You can have like a full picture of a person. And then you can say that this this person had so much potential in him. And these are the reasons, like this is the pain that they have to live with. And that's the reason why they drink and it's it's heartbreaking. Like like you, you get to see, you have the possibility to, to have this notion of what they once were, what they could be, could have been. And contrast that against what they are in this moment. And because of that, the moment can be so powerful. And they, as people, they can be. But Fermin gets none of that. He doesn't get the moment outside of booze. He does not get the backstory. He he doesn't get the chance to be a person. Not really. All he has in the movie, the only chance he has is to be drunk, and that's it. And, like, like to, to, to draw a dif- different parallel here, like, why, why, why this is so goddamn, like, why the answer to every question, like, that's, that's the main thing here. 
you kind of, or at least I, I as an as a movie watcher, as, as an audience member watching Under the Volcano, the question I was constantly asking myself is, why does Fermin drink? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. I figured. Why did he throw throw it all away? I I get why he drinks now. That is because he can't anymore quit. He's so far in alcoholism. I get that, but why why did he start? Mm. What, what, what is the reason for his drinking, the deeper reason for his drinking? And the only reason that, or the only answer that the film gives to you is that eh, he's alcoholic. Well, you know, Henrik. And that's it. On the other hand, maybe it doesn't matter how it started. In a way that maybe there is no particular reason. It's just it's something that started one night and uh, he started drinking with his pals and kept at it for a considerable amount of time, met new people as a consulate, and yeah, constantly kind of having the handshake with new people that he meets and gets on that uh, delirious path, and yeah. And that's, like, would be fine in real life. It's it's realistic. That's one way how alcoholism can start. It has been studied if, if... addiction and alcoholism is something to do with your brains, if it's genetical, we, as far as I, I know, we haven't even, yet we haven't, like, have a full answer why some people become alcoholics. It's like a, it's still a mystery, but that, that, the, the scenario, the background that you describe, are completely believable, realistic, in real life, reasonable chain of events that would lead in lead into this this downward spiral. The problem here is that what we are talking about is a movie, and I do think that from a movie we have the right to actually expect more. Like to 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 give the draw this into a different parallel. Let's let's use use you know let's use superhero stories because you are not big fan of superhero stories. So mo- m- perhaps you are not not naturally feeling as as a defensive. It, it, it can be perhaps feel a bit bit hostile me attacking an alcoholic character here in a, in a character piece movie. But you know, let's use superhero stories. They they are fair game to everybody. Let's use fucking Batman. Now we all know Batman's backstory. He's, he's Perhaps gets murdered, he finds a really unhealthy ways to cope with his parents' murder, which leads, in, leads into him becoming the Batman, which leads into further problem with, you know, the Joker and all that shit. He has to stay as Batman. We, we all know that. Uh, Batman in itself is kind of an, an, an addiction story. Bruce Wayne runs away from emotional pain, becomes Batman. Now can't stop being Batman. He's kind of like Albert Fermin, uh, Jeffrey Fermin. God damn it. He's kind of like Jeffrey Fermin, but, you know, his, his choose of drugs is to, to wear skimpy tights and dress like a rodent. Who am I to kink shame? <laughs> but every, most of the Batman stories never actually approach or touch upon this sub- subject, if you read the comics. Mostly they are just like, we all know Batman's backstory, let's not, you know, divulge in it, let's just have a Batman adventure, Joker does something, yada yada yada. But then there are stories that want to tackle a board, like want to ask the question, why does Batman do what he does? And with these stories, there are 
two types of stories. There are those that fall from mediocre to great, which have some insight. They, they present you a view into why Batman is Batman, why, why Batman does what he does. They may be psychologically deep, they may be character takedowns, breakdowns, they... Or it can just be, you know, like, Joker is doing bunch of shit and I have to stop him, can't really go back here because Gotham City, Gotham City's police department is what it is, yada yada yada. Those, those are, like, for mediocre to great answers. Why is Batman? And then there is the rat piece category. Where the question is being brought up, like why hey Batman, why do you do what you do what what you do? And the only answer that Batman gives you is is that it's because I'm the Batman. And that's kinda like the case with Albert uh, with Jeffrey Furman in Under the Volcano. Hey Jeffrey, why do you drink? Because I'm the alcoholic man. And it's yeah. like that's the payoff for the two hours of you trying to ask Furman why do you drink? Yeah, and and that's about it. And there's nothing else to follow than Albert Finney's great performance, really. Uh, there are some allusions, as I said, to the possible past relationship of Hugh and Yvonne, but it really doesn't go anywhere. And actually, in the first few minutes, we are just given the impression that no, Yvonne is totally devoted, uh, uh, faithful to Albert Finney's character Furman, so that's not gonna go anywhere into like a triad drama, but yeah, that's what we do, we just follow this drunken rambling, uh, like in the podcast. Yeah, and kind of the salt on in, in my wounds here, like the reason why I'm so incredibly salty is the fact that I kind of get the feeling that the film itself acknowledges this problem and then it's just kind of like, like it's kind of like the asshole kid who has your the, the keys to your, you know, the, your bike lock. He's just dangling them in, in front of you like, do, do you want your keys back? Do you want your keys back? And if you try to take them, it, it just snacks them back out of your reach. Because the film kind of alludes into an explanation behind Fermin's drinking. At, at, at the very early stages of the movie, there, there's the moment when Avon returns back to Mexico. And Fermin is in some bar and he's, he's telling the bartender this, this story how they once captured the, the German U-boat. Which, and there, there were some officers, and they apparently burned the, the officers in, in some oven. And as Fermin tells the story here, it, you kind of get the notion that Fermin was the one doing the, the German burning. And you're like, okay, that's the demon. That's why Fermin drinks. But it's completely fine, you know, you did a horrible thing during the war times, it was a tricky situation, you can't live with the past, so you drink. And then, <laughs> god damn, yeah. the movie has a special moment where they debunk this whole Fermin's backstory. Like, it, it becomes clear that, yeah, there was the German U-boat, yeah, Fermin captured them, yeah, perhaps something happened to the German officers, 
but it wasn't Fermin. His wife debunks it outright and states that you couldn't have done it. And right after that, you know, Fermin himself states as a fact. He, he says something that I like, well, I could have done it. Yeah. Which is a confirmation that, you know, Fermin at least never burned those goddamn Germans. Which once again is like, you you almost had the answer. What's the demon behind Fermin? And then the film just kind of yanks it back. No explanation to you. Yeah. Um, there are kind of ham-fisted feeling moments such, such as the exposition or planting of information about these gangsters that are just roaming in the streets and uh, uh, when we first get to that moment it just doesn't seem to make any sense like why are we concentrating on, on this moment and nothing comes out of it except that we see that yeah the gangsters kill the, kill the person and some guys having some coins that are bloody that are taken from the victim and no one gives a goddamn about that and it's just left there and it maybe maybe Fermin gets a little bit more serious for a moment but then it's up to the old tricks and and nothing changes except that the last moments then we know what these gangsters are all about and of course they are the ones to challenge Fermin. Yeah but even even with the ending like, like the whole whole reason for, for that moment at least in the film I don't know how it's in the book but in the film it's to you know, to do the setup and payoff thing for Firm, uh, for Fermin's death at the very end of the story. Yeah. Like the same same person who, who steals the coins from the corpse, which is some type of uh, Mexican secret police, if I remember correctly, is yeah, partly a... responsible for Fermin dying at the end of the story. So the setup and payoff. But outside of the setup and payoff, that moment, like, like you said, it does really have no effect on anything. Nobody really comments on it. It doesn't lead into anything, except Fermin's death, you know, just, you know, two minutes before, or 30 seconds before the end credits. But outside of that, there really is no point for that moment in the story. And I do know, like, I, I, once again, doing the background research, I did read Roger Ebert's review he, he gave mm-hmm. a four-star review for Under the Volcano. Four out and of in four? His review, he, yeah, four out of four. So, in his review, he states that in the novel, apparently, Lowry did a touch upon the themes of the political disintegration in, in Mexico yeah. and the, the, the rising tide of fascism. And then he, he actually like credits the film and the director, John Houston, for leaving out all the symbols and implications and all the subtext in order for, you know, the director just to stick with the man and just stick with the alcoholism. So this kind of leads me to believe that when it comes to the whole point of, you know, Mexico falling into Nazism, and and these far right ideas rising yeah. in Mexico, uh, perhaps those who did exist in the in the in the book, mm-hmm. but they they sure as hell are nowhere to be seen in the in the movie. Like Ebert himself, you know, testifies. Yeah, well, I guess those could have been elements that could have been tied in the movie to 
the whole drinking or just kind of explaining what the hell is going on in Mexico because frankly I've no idea what exactly happened in Mexico and how was the Nazi support and what was the regime regime at the time so yeah would have been interesting backdrop more interesting than just following the drunken uh, raving on yeah you know simply out of the fact that you know Nazi ideas raising rising wherever and uh, you know growing anti-semitism and stuff like that you know in in general as heartbreaking is as it is it's also kind of interesting like yeah people write a cardless amount of non-fiction books about this stuff even today they they the books are being written about why Nazism managed to to surface in Germany in the first place and why anti-semitism as an ideology has been able to spread repeatedly around the world people are studying this stuff in universities and colleges because yeah. it's kind of interesting and it kind of says something us humans as a as a race as a species So there is kind of something in there. Rising fascism is kind of fascinating as much as it's terrifying and heartbreaking. So perhaps it could have been used in the film instead of just, you know, giving us a man who is drunk and yeah. apparently the only reason why he's drunk is because he's an alcoholic. And yeah, it could have shed also some light on what's happening in the last moments of the film or well, maybe this is something that the, the locals and the people in america understand very well but i i have a gap in my understanding what is the anti-americanism staunch anti-americanism all about there that it seems to allude to is it all only about the events in america or something regarding the war And yeah, does it have something inherent to do with the, his fate at the end of the movie? Of course, th these are a couple of bad company that he's keeping at the bar, but a lot of hints. Yeah, but that's that's all you get. Like that's that's as far as it goes. Only into hints. Yeah, it's the it's the same thing as as with the bloody letters, like. <sighs> There's this plot point. It's it's like a running theme throughout the two-hour movie that that Fermin has Fermin's Fermin has separated with his wife. They have been they have broken up because the wife have hasn't quite been able to you know stand with Fermin's drinking. So he mm -hmm. she has left Mexico, and apparently after she left Mexico, she has written like this, this whole bunch of letters to Fermin. And Fermin never actually read any of these letters. He he did collect and keep all of them, but he just never opened any of the letters. And is it like this that the the the, the bartender, the bar owner, has kept the letters somehow? Maybe he forgot them there yeah. on his last drinking stint. Yups, that's precisely the case. Like like th throughout the movie, Fermin repeatedly tries to figure out. Like he has lost a bunch of letters. And he can't remember where he lost them. So throughout the movie, he's trying to piece it together. He he goes around asking different bars, like, "Do you have my letters?" And he tries to remember what bar did he actually lose his letters in. And then in the final, at the end of the film, 
he he goes into the the really like backwoods ratchets come off the earth cutthroat bar the most seediest place that you can find in all mexico you can see how it's under the volcano yeah so he goes there and apparently that's the the bar where he he originally lost his letters and and the bartender there was some person there you know has collected them keep them safe for him so the only arc that the movie has finally closes albert for uh, jeffrey fermin finds his goddamn letters and can finally read them and the payoff is absolutely nothing yeah well it's, it's kind of like uh, there's a there's a hint that okay, in a way, you get the sense that the letters are telling from his wife are telling that there just is no hope for them. Like in the in on paper, his wife is pouring her heart out, and and in that in that that flood of flood of feelings, you kind of can get the sense that you know they can never be together because Fermin is what it is, and his wife can't just can't take it, but. Uh. That's kind of like, kind of like lackluster. Like this, this is the the main arc throughout the film, and even that realization doesn't really properly lead into anything. Like nothing truly comes out of the letters that wouldn't come out anyways in that moment. So it's very much like uh, also like pretty much kind of a like em- em- empty fart fizzles out in the air well if anything there was the declarement that hell is my natural habitat so he seemed to be taking some distance to to the ex-lady right now that this is not gonna work out it also happened on the bed where he said that sorry it isn't any good i'm afraid and i thought he was referring to his you know (coughs) equipment but it turns out during the course of the movie that that's not quite probably the case is just the case that he just doesn't feel that this is quite right thing to do or it would not work out at least in the last bar moment we realize that Fermin still has feelings towards the lady and uh, is very staunch on getting the letters back which then essentially costs him his life I wish I could go back to my old review <laughs> I guess that's a uh, dangerous to wish but i did write a review uh, when i was really fuming after the movie like what kind of a pile of shit have i I been watching here i wrote it on imdb but since i have deleted my account but it must have been going more or less in the sense that I, i i simplified it to the to the kind of the main elements of the film which is sort of valid even today but simplified it to the level of here is a drunken guy in the movie. We just follow this drunken guy who just keeps on wandering around the streets in Mexico and nothing happens and there's nothing really interesting dialogue-wise. And then finally his stupidity leads him to his final bar where he is shot down and killed and murdered in front of the bar. And that's the movie. And I was just questioning what kind of fucking shit show is this? And even with now, with maybe more <laughs> context on what the hell is being, what the what the movie is trying to do, what it's based on, yada yada yada, you would think that 
you would think differently about it now. Then again, not really. Yeah, it kind of sounds like you know with with the with the uh, like the 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 added intellect that you have been able to gather, <laughs> you know, throughout the throughout the years after seeing the movie for the first time. What it amounts to is is a better understanding exactly why you just don't like the film. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's you you still feel that it's it's a shitty movie. It's just kind of you now have have more realization why why it's a shitty movie. Well, I, I would say there there is there is things that have changed. I do appreciate that the acting more. I appreciate and understand acting and its challenges a little bit more than I used to. And uh, I truly appreciate Albert Finney's, Finney's uh, ability to deliver in the film. I do enjoy some certain moments and some of the more sharper dialogue. I was really into the film when I started watching it and I, I think it laid out its case well and introduced its characters well and but then yeah that's it that's it yeah and unfortunately it's it's even even perhaps a bit more sad knowing that this movie comes from john houston who is a director who i absolutely like like typically i i love him and he has made some of the some of the movies that I do think are all-time great cinema. Oh, like yeah. Treasure of, of, of Sierra Madre. Yes. Maltese Falcon, the absolutely iconic film noir, The African Queen, movies that I, I feel like... Uh, fucking even, even, you know, uh, British Honor, his second-to-last movie he ever made, that one with... Jack Nicholson and Kathleen Turner. Movies that I absolutely think that are fucking great. I absolutely love them. I like Houston as a director. He's not a bad he's not bad here either. But I just don't like the bloody film he made. And it it's a bummer because I know that this also was like this was Houston's passion project. It was a development hell like something like what 20, 30, 40 years when Houston re- and this is the one that Houston repeatedly tried to get off the ground and he finally gets it after decades of, of production hell or development hell and it comes out and you kind of look at it and you're like I don't like this I, yeah. I don't side with this movie yeah you can you can't I guess you can't make a diamond out of a rock that easily might be the problem with the film. Uh, the, the rock that is like like I have to reinter like like restate this. The rock that is number eleven in modern libraries, one hundred best novels novels list of all time. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I will state something positive about the book as well is that that you know i i kept listing all the all the words that i did not know there were at least 10 percent, 15 percent of those words that i marked down 
even the fucking dictionary didn't know what the hell they are. So that's the level of intellectualism in, in the book. <laughs> and, so that, that, that can be, be like your, your back of the book, like the, the selling argument quote. The bookcase quote from Kari. It has new words in it. It has new words in it. <laughs> but but speaking of book, I, I, I do know that Lavery himself has stated that the book is about the forces which can cause the man to be terrified of himself and and guilt and remorse and a person's struggle towards the light light under the weight of his past. Like that's that's what Lowry intended to be in his book. That's what he says. What that's what the author says that is in the core of his book. Since you have read it, did you actually find any of that? I wouldn't say that. It it managed to portray a man who who wants to change his state is feeling remorse for what he is today. Yeah, and that's about it. Okay. And then he's not able to do that. Okay. I wish I could. I wish I could tell you more, but the, the... I, I'm kind of happy that I didn't actually force myself into reading it. <laughs> yeah. I, I I didn't stay up five a.m. every night just so that I can manage to read the book before before the recording session. Oh, well, start to sound like I made the the right choice here. So it could be I'm just an unsophisticated pig, and that's all there is to it. Well, obviously you are an unsophisticated pig. That's that's what I, not even a question, but oh. the book can still be bad. <laughs> but yeah, that's a, I guess that's a that's another timeless classic butchered here in the lab. Yeah. Damn, those opinions getting on your way. <laughs> But uh, I guess we'll be running here for quite a while with the quickies as well. Slow is special mention for an actor goes to Albert Finney. Yeah, that's not even a question. Mm. Okay. Let's just voice it out. But, you know, the supporting cast is not bad either. Mm, no. It, 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 it's good performances all together in this movie. But yeah, well, like, it's a character study. Surprise, surprise! Albert Finney is gonna get all the screen time and you know the biggest emotions, etc., etc., etc. Of course, it's gonna be fucking Albert Finney. Who, who, who did anybody thought thought it would be? That 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 horse at the end of the film. Yeah, that that horse in the at the end of the film. That was what I wanted to say about next because before I even finished the book I realized that actually there's a plot point where the lady dies in the book and then was I was like wait a minute I, I don't remember this being in the film really it doesn't seem to make any sense to me and I watched the movie before I finished the book and at the end the, the lady dies basically after Fermin dies well that makes more sense than what I had in my head that she would get trampled by the horse before she gets killed in the bar but uh, anyway it's a bit much for me it, it's it, it's still unbelievably convenient yes it is like uh Furman walks into the great unknown 
to the one shithole bar that exists in the, in the backwoods somewhere, which is incredibly hard to even get into. Mm. And and it's uh, it's on top of of a mountain. It's it's on the foot of a volcano, etc., etc., etc. Only one road re- leads into that bar. And uh, of course, Yvonne and Hugh are able to somehow follow him. Almost, uh, uh, they manage to follow him to the bar, and then they leave. And they just happen to leave just around the time when Fermin himself gets shot. And and the gunshots scare away the horse, who then runs down the hill, the one road that you can take to get get to the bar. And unfortunately, Yvonne is on that road during that exact same moment and gets trampled by the horse. Yeah, after what Yvonne just saw or thought what was going on behind the curtains, I would have been just, uh, okay, (laughs) next guy, please. (laughs) <laughs> but surely he didn't even half know what the hell he's doing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of they use ex horse. Bring to attention some very small role in the film that you found somehow worth horse. highlighting. Managed <laughs> to so, somehow appear to be more drunk than Fermi himself. <laughs> what a breakout performance. Or was it the lady? I, the, the Academy Award goes for to mm-hmm. the horse in under the volcano. I hope that horse has a, had a had a really good career in Hollywood. <laughs> I, I would watch Free Willy if that stupid whale would have been, you know, replaced by with the horse. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I just go with the horse. It's a good good solid choice. <laughs> Animal Kingdom. It's a different movie. <laughs> yeah, the the one with the where the shark is riding the Velociraptor. Uh, yeah, Animal Kingdom, if I remember correctly, is, a, is an Australian gangster movie. Oh, okay. Well, what resonated with you the most or the least? Albert Finney. Yeah, absolutely, Albert Finney. Like I, I stated this this before, and it bears to be restated here. Uh, the alcoholism is extremely believable in the movie, like how it's being portrayed and how an alcoholic character is being portrayed. It's uh, as as someone who has met with alcoholics and who has dealt with drunk people, it's extremely realistic. So, to me, what resonated most is the depiction of an alcoholic. Yeah. He probably took a few drinks during filming as well. And the director at least took a, took a shot or two. <laughs> what do you think about that merry-go-round? The, the, the machine that he went to in the amusement park. That felt like it was actually filmed in a moving merry-go-round or what do you call that yeah it, it did it absolutely did and uh, i didn't i do know there is a behind the scenes documentary to my great shame i didn't track it down and check it out but i wouldn't be surprised if if that would show that the way how they shot it it was that they just you know 
tape the camera or they somehow attached camera yeah in into the cabin of the medical round where where finally was was sitting that's what it looked like in one adjective how would you describe the films the film shit face shit face oh i like that i will go fancy here because malcolm lowry larry would approve so it's the word that he himself used in the book and it's a wonderful word actually I'll go with maudlin, and for those who are uninitiated, it means self-pityingly or tearfully sentimental, often through drunkenness. Favorite quote, if any? I don't have one. What? You're not saying it's hell is my natural habitat? No, because it already is, since I'm a film broadcaster. I would go with something from the book, because there's a lot of fantastic stuff there, like how to say nothing of all the poetry not far enough below the stockyards to escape altogether the rake of the porterhouse of the morrow people can be living in cellars the life of the old alchemists of prague yes living among the cohabitations of faust himself among the lethargy and affate and hyacinth and pearls a life which is amorphous Plastic and crystalline. What am I talking about? End quote. <laughs> I was expecting you to tell me what you were talking about. <laughs> Story doesn't tell that. <laughs> so you think under the volcano has any staying power or legacy? Will anyone remember this? I have to go with a resounding no. And I back that one up with the fact that... Well... <laughs> Once again, uh, perhaps the novel will have, like I said, it's something, something English lit, top of the list. But when it comes to the film, when it comes to the director's filmography, like there's a bunch of films that Houston made during his career that people keep on mentioning. They are being brought up in all the film essays, they are Film essays are being made of made of those films, and when it comes to Under the Volcano, absolutely nothing. I didn't find a film essay about volcano. I barely found any essays about the book. There are some uh, reviews, like I already mentioned, for example, the the Roger Ebert one, which gives it four out of four, a stellar review, stellar score. But that's about it. Like when doing the background check, I I already I I knew who used an as a, as a director. So I knew that you know under the volcano is not a title that people usually bring up when they talk about Houston. And I when doing my background check for the film, doing my research, I barely if I found anything about this film. So yeah, I don't think that this one will have. Like, like the director, yeah, is a legendary guy, but I don't think that this this particular film will have a staying power. No. Yeah, this is a film that I watched it completely random from probably Ule, the governmental channel in Finland, and it was the year when I was having this asinine. Uh, thing going on with my sister who's gonna watch more movies this year <laughs> and I was just watching 
everything that I could get my hands on. Basically, we would make lists of what's going on in the like regular, regular free TV channels every day. All that kind of jazz. And then, lo and behold, one of the movies in the middle of that whole run is this one. And I'm already probably tired of watching movies so many times a day. And then, then this comes in. I don't think uh, there's going to be much staying power for, for this. Yeah, it's just something that seems to be forgotten. Yeah, I mean, you know, once again, Houston is a classic director. There's like a... There's a hell of a lot of good classic John Huston directed movies. This one, I believe, will is and always will be the one that just gets, you know, buried under the African Queens and Maltese Falcons and all that jazz. Put the book and the film in order of preference, please. Well, well you are the only one who can do this one. Oh. Uh, let me let me try this one. I would go first with the film, then second the book. And my reason is pretty simple, because I felt that the book doesn't really give that much of context to anything that you see in the film. It is 450 pages of maudlin words. But complete the sentence, por favor. You really know you are watching under the volcano when dot dot dot. Well, you know, man, I, I, honest to God, honest to God, I'm, I'm not joking. I, I did have an answer for this one, but I, I just, I, you know, I, I forgot it. I forgot it in the pockets of my other pants <laughs> and the other bottle, which is in that one bar, which I just can't remember what it was. I'm trying to do it the, the whole session, the whole day. I'm trying to remember what bar it was, but, you know, I'm drawing a blank here, man. Sorry. Yeah, that's fair enough. When you really know you're watching under the volcano when it is absolutamente not necessario to finish the movie or the book, since playing dominoes with one's cock gets a whole new meaning. <laughs> it it may have been a more interesting film if if it had been a tad bit different cock. Well, did you like the film? I don't know. No. No. In in case it's no. not not obvious already. No, I did not. No. I like it much more than I did back in the day. Certainly, I got more out of it. Honestly, it could be that I got more out of it simply because I had read most of the book when I finally watched the film. I can't imagine... If you feel at all excited about the first 10 minutes of the film yourself, were you really into it in the beginning? I was during the, the opening. Like, like that. It's a good opening. It's a good opening. I like the opening. I like the pace. I like how it's shot. I like all those those moments, how it's, you know, just firming lazily, strolling down the street, stopping to, to pet the dog. And at the end, when he's he's like facing off with this this German consulate, and Furman is bringing up, you know, the the German influence in Mexico, and he's mm-hmm. trying to push the answers out of the, the German consul, mm-hmm. and then you know his his alcoholic breakdown on the stage. I liked all that stuff. 
There, there was there was with, with the German consulate stuff. There was actually an honesty card plot thread that you could have followed. Mm. The problem yeah. is just you know that after the first ten minutes, all of that gets dropped. Yeah, you know, you know that you say it could have been more interesting, satisfying if they would have pushed the al- alcoholism in public places even further. Yeah, or if if they would have taken the fascism angle. Angle mm. and go, gone with that, you know, in, into at least into some place, because that's also one direction that absolutely leaves nowhere. Yeah, would you watch this film for some ungodly reason again? No, I do think that with this amount of alcohol, I will forget the movie in T minus. I don't know one bottle. <laughs> would you? Recommend the film? Uh, unfortunately, no. And I, I wanna stress this one out. Technically, this is something that I didn't bring up previously. But honest to God, technically, this is really good movie. John Huston knows how to direct a goddamn movie. His cinematographer mm. does know how to shoot a movie. Yeah. And like we all already mentioned. Albert Finney's performance is an absolute masterpiece, and the supporting cast is not bad bad either. Like, it's a good performance, it's good directing, it's good cinematography. All the technical aspects are there. And I understand, like, it, it's not often talked about when we talk about John Huston. But the fact is that John Huston, the director himself, had some issues with alcohol. Like, he he was a drunk driver, and his his benders with booze and uh, plus cars equaled at least two accidents. One which led into uh, a female actress. Was it Jita Johan or or who was the actress? Anyways, that the first occasion of Houston drunk driving led into into the actress. Flying through the goddamn windshield, mm. and, she, and and the actress suffered head trauma as a as a result. And on the second time, when Houston was behind the the wheel while under influence, it went into an honest to god actually killing an actress. Holy! That was uh, Tosca Rulien. Um, most likely I butchered the name, yeah, but well. she died. And of course, of course, it bears to, to mention that there exists a theory that it wasn't Houston driving. Uh, this is back in the day when when John Houston's career was that he was scriptwriter in Hollywood, and the theory goes that Houston didn't drive; that it would have been instead it, the driver would have been a hot shot. Hollywood actor Clark Cable, which was a big draw in the box office. And the theory goes that that Cable was the one who drove, and the studio would have paid Houston to take the fall, because the studio would have wanted to protect Clark Cable's name, since Cable brought in countless amounts of money while being the leading star in movies. That's a theory. But officially, Houston is the one who takes the rap for drunk driving 
and killing another person. Nice. So I I get I honest to God, I understand that under the volcano, most definitely, it absolutely like this is Bus Houston's passion project. I can kinda understand why that may have been. Mm. Like most definitely Houston himself was was facing some personal issues while while directing the movie. And technically it's a great movie. Absolutely. But there just kinda is not nothing to actually see here. You you follow a drunken character who goes absolutely nowhere. There are the societal elements the the, the ri- raising rising fascism, the anti Semitism that are not really touch upon. Nothing is learned. Nothing is gained. At the end of a na- day, truly, nothing is even lost. And this all happens because Fermin trunks because he's an alcoholic. The end, two hours of your time. Yes. Thank you, come again, please. I was hoping that this would be, perhaps, that we would find some grandiose, uh, fantastic plot line here that I just couldn't see as a kid. But there's, it just feels pretty flat, just like it was back then. Um, like I said, uh, the the performances, great. Yeah, Albert Finney was great. If you like Albert Finney, if you like great acting, sure. I I yeah, I find it pretty hard to recommend. Though it was a struggle for me to finish the book. It's not that long, but it was excruciatingly long when you just don't give a shit about the content. But I really wanted to finish it. Took some doing. Don't watch Under the Volcano. Don't read the book especially. Think you can find better things to do. Yeah. And frankly, maybe we can find more interesting books about drunk people. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. At least books that that might have more plot in them. And I I know that perhaps somebody in the in the audience is already drawing blood and you know calling us hypocrites. Hmm. In in the past episodes, we have been recommending movies based upon you know the powerhouse performances of an actor. We 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 have been bringing that side of a film up in in you know our past episodes but every single time when we have done that there's also has been the the case that that those movies also have had something else something more than just the powerhouse performance like apocalypse now a movie that we both loved it's not just marlon brando's monologue true it's also extremely well-made war movie that actually shows you some it, it does that extre- at times unfortunately quickly and incredibly quickly but it does show you some new aspects of when it comes to vietnam war uh, we did like pickle Pavelski, a, a yeah. power powerhouse performance from jeff bridges but it also did have a semi-interesting mystery plot that was constantly moving forward. There were interesting side characters. Yeah. There was something else. And in Under the Volcano, 
the only thing that you are being given is the technical capabilities and the powerhouse performance from Finley. Yeah, that's, and that's it. The subject is so interesting. So in that way, it is a, a bit of a frustrating watch and frustrating to, to think about after finishing it. That's what I was feeling most when watching the film. Frustration. Because I didn't come into the movie like... like I, I didn't turn on the movie feeling like, okay, now I want to you know, pick a fight with everybody. I want to be the big controversial. I, honest to God, I, I wanted to like the film... And when watching it, I repeatedly wanted to to start liking it. Yeah. And I felt that the film itself constantly denied me the opportunity and the tools to actually start find something that I could like, get more out of it. So that I could actually, at the end of a day, say that, Oh boy, yeah, oh gee, Villigers, that the Under the Volcano, that sure was a good movie, mister. And yeah. I... Never got it, and I felt extremely frustrated. I feel frustrated now that I'm talking about the movie and the fact that it, I it just did not connect with me. The more and more I do this podcast, the more I notice that there is seems to be a lot of cherry picking in professional uh, reviews about films, and it couldn't be more clear in the case of Under the Volcano, where, at least totally in my mind, as you said, Albert Finney is being praised. And it then seems to... people get blindsided to everything else. Oh, you get this masterful performance, and and then it's all about the masterful performance, but that doesn't seem very balanced to me. Yeah, I mean... To harken back into the Roger Ebert review, honest God, I'm not trying to pick a fight with the ghost of Ebert here either, but Ebert touches upon the, the, the you know, the, the side actors. Jacqueline Bissett and Anthony Andrews, who play Fermin's wife and his half-brother in the, in the film. Mm. And when Ebert talks about them, talks about their performance and he mentions that the performances are good and then he talks about the characters and that section is him asking just repeatedly like why are these characters sticking with Fermin why yeah. don't they just leave him and that's all the material like the like, like Roger Ebert is one of the few if not the only film critic that has won a Pulitzer based upon his film critic reviews. So he, he should be like the king, like the god among film critics. And when it comes to actually finding something to talk about the side characters of the movie, uh, the only thing that he can do is just repeatedly ask the question, why are you sticking with the main character? Why don't you just abandon him? I do remember asking this from myself reading the book. I do remember questioning why is Yvonne rather seems to be really, pretty accepting of the drinking and just seems to kind of shrug it off, laugh it off, or they are together, the three of them somewhere, and then 
they just leave have Fermin to his devices, just they leave him drinking for a while. And it seems to be a-okay. So I understand that he is in the condition that he is in, but shouldn't you try to be a little, I don't know, try to get him distanced from the booze with words or something, but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's some kind of a psychological tactic that he wants to play and just not really address it so much, except to the amount that she, she has to. So yeah, I was surprised by Yvonne's behavior. Yeah, well, kudos to the characters, at least in the film, they at least try this. Like, the wife tries to get Fermin leave the Mexico. Yeah. And the half-brother and the wife, they both ask Fermin why he constantly refuses their help, why he shuts them out. So there, there is... There is... They, they do want to help Fermin. But it's Fermin who, who refuses to take the hand that is gi- being given to him. And once again, Fermin is an alcoholic. It's a realistic depiction. Yes, even when help is being offered when you are an addict, it may sometimes be unbearably hard to actually accept the help being being offered to you. But at the same time, you know... Once again, we are talking about movie, we are talking about story, we are talking about fiction. I, even though the approach and the actions are realistic and they are believable, it does not necessarily translate into a good story. I was hoping that when Fermin shuts them out and refuses to help, there would have been some other explanation for his behavior than just the fact that Hmm. Yeah, he's an alcoholic, I guess. What do you think if we would have discussed this film as our first episode back in 2018? How how would your approach be during that time compared to now? Any difference, you think? I, how? I, I would like to say that I would have been the same way, but I, I am afraid that back in the day I was still a bit unsure, perhaps a bit scared, too scared to actually be as harsh and as as hostile that I can be today. Like there, there's there's this trope about film critics. We we've all seen this. It's uh, the film critic sits in the the movie theater. He's watching some type of a new masterpiece, and then he's just thinking of it. Oh, I've seen better. This is such of a trap. Mm. This is a callback to the French New Wave classic. And, you know, etc., etc., etc. We all know this, this cliche and this trope of a critic. But, you know, all, all these years in the lab, I, I find myself, I'm slowly perhaps turning into the cliche. I'm actually becoming more and more like exactly like that that stereotype of a critic. I'm looking at it like I've seen this plotline. I've seen this same shot done better. Mm. I'm already like I'm already close calling. What's the end twist here? This is not the best one to come out of this director. God damn! This, this today's episode is nothing. 
part me, you know, cramping about how Houston made better movies than Under the Volcano. So perhaps, you know, had this been one of our first episodes, I'm, I kind of, I am afraid that I may have actually given this movie credit, undeserved credit. Okay. During our first episode in the lab, simply out of the fact, simply due to, for me, being too afraid to be too harsh on a movie that comes from, you know, the great legendary director, John Huston. And now that I'm more experienced, I'm more jaded, it's more easier for me to, you know, just say that, don't bother with this one. Oh, that's interesting. I was thinking that probably if we had done this back in 18, I would have been way more critical towards this film. <laughs> Maybe just butchering well, it to absolute well, well, smithereens. Well, to you, it, it would have been a fresher experience back in the day. Hmm. Mm. I, I, I think I was more ruthless when this podcast started. But um, the more you see, the more, I guess, lenient you are. The more understanding you have, the, the more time you give for the film to kind of open itself up, the more you just uh, try to understand the director's perspective, the filmmaker's perspective. Why the hell was this made? There must be some other reason than just, well, he has a drunkard and he gets shot, but uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure in this case. Yeah, well, that's, that's, you know, that's what we in the profession we call a character development. Yeah. That's something that does not exist in this film. But so I guess even in this podcast, there is some kind of a evolution. I, I do realize that there's a lot of words that we just recycle on and on and on and on and on. Even I, sometimes I just get locked. Sometimes I don't know what to say because I feel that I've said this million times before. How can I think of a new adjective or a verb? Well, just read more Lowry is the obvious answer, but uh, yeah, a lot of these words like, well, it seemed a little flat for me and I I just didn't really get on with the film and um, just didn't resonate with me and all this kind of bullshit. So you always try to add something on top of that and I'm not sure if was able to explain myself very well today but thankfully we're at the end unless you have any thoughts before the outro mm, none at all Th thankfully i'm at the end of the this bottle <laughs> we would like you to come and continue this conversation with us online on our social media pages please and we'll hope you leave us a rating on apple podcasts if not then maybe you can at least follow us on on several deepest levels of hells twitter facebook instagram instagram youtube and now also library slash odyssey.com don't forget to support us on patreon for most importantly for for the feeling in your heart that you're supporting this little project of ours and some extra goodies and last but certainly not least, we'd like to give a few shout-outs to fellow podcasts. That's right. This is a friendly reciprocal exchange where this helps us and it helps them. So, and I'm going to read a few elevator pitches. Here goes. Our first podcast mention goes to the Elite Pod. 
want to start working out but don't know where to start then let the trainers at elite fitness help guide you to be your ultimate best each week our trainers will give you key tips and guidance to help you on your fitness journey join us every monday at the elite pod the link will be in the description of this episode but you can find the elite pod on spotify and we have uh, with a gay twist with a gay twist it's the podcast where two homos discuss the news and politics of the day including lgbt news from congress to drag race we've got you covered it's news and politics but with a gay twist you can find them on all major podcast players and on www.withagaytwist.com then we have what's this place how do we shop now the world is burning what's this place podcast goes behind the bricks and mortar of sustainable businesses how they do it tricks we can all use to shop more sustainably what sustainability even means what is this place let's go inside to find out you can find what's this place for example on apple podcasts then we have capes on the couch we analyze the psychiatric and mental health issues of superheroes sometimes funny sometimes emotional always insightful and entertaining we are capes on the couch you can find them on capesonthecouch.com next we have fine time fine time is a weird and snappy video game podcast we talk about games new and old give hot takes on industry news and do extremely silly quiz segments in order to embarrass each other you can find them on kite.link slash fine hyphen time then we have funky eskimo every day i release a short episode of me telling awkward stories from my life or angry rants of current events you can find funky eskimo from linktree which is linktr.ee slash funky eskimo and again you can find all of these links to the podcasts in the show notes so definitely give a listen to these podcasts and thank you for letting our audience know about you really appreciate it this was wonderfully reciprocal yeah and yeah and please remember don't be film podcasters drink responsibly it's a good way to end see you in a fortnight until then Completely fucked. Mm. Smells like fucking petrol. Christ, that's just that's gas. This stuff. I don't know how to say "hoik." Alwako. Tiedätkö, että ei ole. Ei, ei, ei. Saat, saat
Kyllä sä, kyllä sä skottilainen terrieri oot, kuule. Joo, se, jo, jo, siellä paskassa on kateria, mä tiedän. Yeah, so product review for, for Fireball Cinnamon Whiskey Poisoned by Dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>